0: Sri Lankan food is kind of powerful and punchy. So, I mean, Sri Lanka was on the spice route for, you know, for many centuries. And it also, it's where cinnamon comes from. It's, uh, we grow cardamom there and black pepper. When you get those things in their, like, original form, they're like, ca- like, cardamom that is fresh, it's like menthol. It, like, blows your head off.
1: You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I'm catching up with Cynthia Shamangalingam, the author of Rambutan, which is honestly one of my favorite books of the year, Alex Lau, The Photos, and Who Doesn't Love an Alex Lau Cookbook. We talk about Sri Lankan cuisine on the episode, and, and I had many questions for her about it, and she answered them all. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Cynthia. Welcome to the Taste Podcast.
0: It's great to be here.
1: I love seeing your face. I love having you here. This is your first podcast.
0: It is my first podcast.
1: Well, welcome to the club.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Tell me about your book.
0: Um, That's a joke because we're...
1: uh, (laughs) Sorry, we were like joking off mic about unprepared podcast hosts, but we are prepared here. Your book, Rambutan, is just... It's truly one of my favorite books of the year. Congratulations.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Tell me first... How did you end up writing this book? I know you come from the world of economics, and you are in finance. You're an economist, actually, not not in finance. You're an economist, but you wrote a book proposal and started shopping around on your own. Yeah, tell us about that.
0: So, so I mean, I haven't been an economist for like 15 years or something. I, it was the first job. That was the first job I did when I came out of university. Um, And I did a bunch of desk jobs I hated for a while. I always say that if you're Sri Lankan, um, doing economics is like doing fine art. It's like the most out there thing you're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, My sister's a doctor and my brother's a computer engineer and like everyone has, you know, sensible, sensible jobs. Um, but I always wanted to start my own thing and do something creative and food became really dominant for me maybe yeah, seven, eight years ago. And I've been thinking about doing a Sri Lankan restaurant, actually, for, um, for about four years. Mm. Um, and I had just signed on a site in March 2020 when it... The world kind of came to an end, and it looked like um, maybe restaurants were over. Were they coming back? Was this the new normal? Were we going to always order in, whatever? And mm-hmm. I really thought, should I, should I give up on on food? Should mm-hmm. I go back and get you know go back to my day job, whatever? And um, and, and my really good friend said to me, why don't you try doing a book version of of of, of um of the restaurant of Rambutan? Mm. So I. Um, I signed up there were lots of courses and you know I don't know if it was the same here but in London there were lots of courses at that point like everyone was doing online this or online. like how to
1: write a book yeah okay
0: I I signed up to like a 10 pound it's a really good investment Mm. one of the best investments Mm. I've made you said 10
1: (laughs) pounds yeah Yeah, nice investment yeah thank (laughs) you nice return yeah
0: 10 pound uh talk on how to do a book deal by my friend Rav Gill who um had has written now a few books and she's um she's kind of a great champion of people starting books Mm -hmm. kind of in London and um and that was like you you know you write an introduction to your book proposal and then write why this book and what the chapters are and why you, whatever um and so i just followed that i just wrote a book proposal with those headings mm. um any photos in the book proposal yeah i did a trip with uh, a friend who's a, who's an amazing photographer um a couple of years ago um so I had some photos from that trip of my family and mm-hmm. cooking in the village and of um Sri Lanka and street food and all sorts of stuff so I, so, it, so it looked it looked nice mm-hmm. um somebody helped me make it put it into like mm. a like lay it out make, of, make lay it, it look out, pretty yeah, yeah. And then I, I sat next to um, somebody who worked at Bloomsbury at a party like four years ago and she was on an email chain and I was like, hey, do you remember me from that? No way. Yeah. So so
1: you made that connection IRL and they had seen your proposal and like, oh yeah, because Sri Lankan cuisine, and now, this is leading into my question about the cuisine, mm-hmm. because in, um, in America, you know, we don't quite, you know, understand it writ large as other cuisines, obviously, in South Asian cuisines like Indian or Pakistani cuisine, we know a little better. But in New York, we know it because in Staten Island, mm. there's like three or four great Sri Lankan restaurants. So we like know it's like the only reason to go to Staten Island is to eat Sri Lankan cuisine. So when you when you were selling this book was there a challenge to get this cuisine into in front of editors and get them excited?
0: I think there was a little bit of um I think there's a little bit more awareness in London of Sri Lankan food. Yes. I think partly um, there are just some, there are like three, not that many, but there are like three cool Sri Lankan restaurants in central London. Um, So I would say if you're into food and you're into, you know, whatever, you might have been to one of them. And so there's that much more awareness, I think. Um, And I, I sort of feel like after George Floyd was murdered, Um, there there was a sort of ripple effect, I think, on lots of different kinds of conversations. And one of them was in publishing and in the world of cookbooks. And I think there had been other cookbooks about Sri Lankan cuisine, um, but some of them had been written by, you know, uh, I guess white British writers who'd gone to Sri Lanka and kind of discovered the cuisine, if you Mm. you like. Um, And I think there was a a kind of moment where um, publishers were interested in people telling their own stories and and kind of eat food as, as one kind of way of doing that. So I think I just was got a bit lucky in terms of the moment um and and because it was a story about my cuisine and my family and 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 um and being an immigrant, you know, being caught mm-hmm. between two worlds and kind of kind of being an insider and an outsider. Yeah.
1: It's a good point of view and you uh, lucky maybe your words but like clearly very well skilled and prepared to 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 talk to the editor. So take us back to that party. You're sitting next to the editor who's on an email chain what what goes down after well,
0: that? So, well, so this is, so I, okay, I was at a party for, kind of four years. I, this is way before I ever thought of doing a book, but I just sat next to um, this, this lovely lady. And, and I yeah, I sent the book proposal to her um, and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, I've got, mm-hmm. now got a book proposal. Would you be up for sending it to the person at Bloomsbury who does cookbooks? Mm-hmm. Um, and she did. She sent it to Rowan Yap, who um, later became my editor. Oh, and wonderful. I, and then I sent it to somebody else. Um, who forwarded it to another publisher. I didn't know this, but if you get a meeting with a publisher, they want to do it?
1: Well, you know, it's a good observation, yes and no, but yeah, getting a meeting is a great sign. Right. Absolutely, your agent is going to be excited about a meeting, and we we uh, you know a meeting is good. So you get Right. Some well, meetings. I
0: didn't have an agent actually, so I just I just sent it like blind to some published cool. first name dot surname at whatever dot yeah, com. Yeah, yeah. And then um and then then I was like I should probably get an agent, so I went to some agents and said cool. oh, I've got a couple of offers. What should I do? Um, and they yeah, and then they helped me get. Uh, it's a
1: great lesson, I think. For our listeners, when I mean this book is tremendous, and we're going to link to it, you should buy it. Um, when you're an outsider, sometimes it, it's a real strength, right? You you're able to kind of break some rules without even knowing the rules right. existed. And you know, the nine essays that you write mm-hmm. are important. Like th- there's a w- wonderful wealth of recipes, and, and headnotes are rich, and there's great photography. We'll talk about Alex Lau, your photographer, mm-hmm. my friend. But these nine essays really crystallize a lot of the point of view and a lot of the elements of Sri Lankan cuisine, I have to ask you, you wrote, warning, I have not shied away from the country's often painful history of war, Colonial oppression, slavery, spice trading, poverty, and prophesying in these pages. So why write a warning like that in a cookbook?
0: Like a sort of trigger warning. Um,
1: Is that what it was? Okay, was it a trigger warning or was it just a warning like, I'm not going to just tell you about how to make this It was
0: both, I think. That's a great question. I think it was both. I think I wanted to, um, I I did, you know, I do want to warn people that it isn't just a straight-up cookbook. And uh, it's full of you know memories and stories and whatever. And I know that some people find that annoying. So I wanted it to be, um, oh yeah, I wanted to to kind of um, to be on the front foot about about that. But I also feel like you know food is political, mm-hmm. and Sri Lanka, Sh- Sri Lanka is an easy an easy place to fall you know to fall in love with. It's really beautiful. The food is incredible. The people are really friendly. Um, it's full sort of like ancient incredible architecture and, 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 and history and culture, but it's also a place that will break your heart if you, um, get to know it in any, in any way. It has had, um, such a tragic history and and, and continues to be a very dangerous place to live for lots of people, for minorities, for Tamil people like mm-hmm. me and my family, um, for, uh, for poor people, especially with the economic crisis right now, for journalists, and I, I didn't want to kind of do a sort of um, welcome to Sri Lanka like tourist sort of thing. You know, I, yeah. I'm like the the, the the history of it and the sadness and the pain of it is all part of it. It's part of the food. It's part of the recipes, um, and I and I hope that it would give people a more full, you know, understanding of 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 what is of what Sri Lankan food is. Can
1: can you give us a little bit of a, I know this is a tough, short answer, but about the Tamil culture, about where the Tamil people come from and how the Tamil people are living in Sri Lanka today, just for my education, the education of the listeners.
0: Sure, yeah. So um, so, so Sri Lanka is a tiny little, little island off the south coast of India and... There are kind of there are there are there are actually several different ethnic groups in Sri Lanka, but the two biggest ones are the Sinhalese people, who are the majority, who live in the south um, of the island, the south and the west, and the Tamil people, who live in the north and the east. Um, and there's it's it's like 22 kilometers, I think, from the north of 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 Sri Lanka, from from Jaffna to the south of India, um, and they say that. Uh, in the ancient Hindu epic, um, the Ramayana, they say that the great monkey god Hanuman jumped across on a on a series of islands because it was such a short like space um, between the two. Um, and there are, uh, you know, there is uh, there's all sorts of different um, and actually quite contested theories on on the record. But but I think everyone agrees that Tamil people and Sinhalese people have been on the island for about the same time, probably about four thousand years, um, and they were. As in many countries around the world, they they governed and they were governed um, and they governed themselves in different kinds of kingdoms, some that were you know spanned both cultures, some that were just their own. And it was never a united country until four hundred and fifty years ago the first European invaders came, and they were the Portuguese. Um, they took over, you know they fought all the different kings of Sri Lanka and took over uh in in pieces and then the dutch came and then the british came and the british created united sri lanka um and when they left they ha- they left no sort of protections for tamil people as a minority and as what's happened in lots of different countries around the world there was a long sad um an ongoing battle for civil t- war yeah civil war and yeah. for tamil people to have Um, to have, yeah, basic kind of civil rights.
1: Now, when did uh, colonialism end? When was independence? Uh,
0: 1948.
1: 1948, okay.
0: The year after India got, Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so around that same period. Um, really well, thank you for sharing that. Okay, that's, yeah. that's, that's a lot of information about, uh, the people of, of Sri Lanka, which we don't really get, but we, we do get it in your book though, of course. Um, I want to know a little bit about the idea of big flavor because you write about big flavor and you talk about your, um, country having big flavor. Um, anyone who's ever been to a restaurant, um, has had hopper meal, has had something, you know, has had Sri Lankan cuisine, knows that these flavors are big. But in your words, what do you mean by big flavor?
0: Um, I guess I mean, y- you know, you Sri Lankan food is, is kind of powerful and punchy. So, I mean, Sri Lanka was on the spice route for you know for many centuries and it also it's where cinnamon comes from it's uh, we grow cardamom there and black pepper when you get those things in their like original form that like ca- like cardamom that is fresh is like menthol it like blows your head off black pepper alone can be can like bring you to tears with how spicy it is um, and then, you know, when the Portuguese came through to Sri Lanka, they brought chilies, which we really embraced mm-hmm. in a big way. So it's often extremely spicy and complex and that, you know, kind of varied. We also um, ferment uh, foods. Mm-hmm. So it has that kind of punchy um, um, umami quality. Uh, we, uh, one big tradition is drying and, and, and smoking fish, dried fish, like they do in Japan. Um, and in lots of other countries in Southeast Asia, so and that also adds a kind of um, yes, yeah, pungent and strong tasting. Mm-hmm. So um, there's often a riot of like different flavors happening at the table, um, and I yeah, I would say it's it is it is a very big flavored. No, place.
1: well said. Really great examples of of how the the history and like the territory of being an island informs the cuisine. Where should we start cooking then? From Ramadan, where, where is there like a recipe or two that really you know, is the one you recommend the most?
0: Um, I feel like the a great starting point is the lemongrass dal recipe. I sort of say this thing in the book, which is that dal is what people tease you. Like, people are like, Oh, lol, can you can you um, can you cook rice? That's sort of an insult. It's a sort of insult. Or can you cook dal? Is similarly like a thing that everyone's supposed to know how to do, and it's very easy. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't put you off because it's absolutely delicious. Um, and you basically uh, you basically you know boiled dal, boil lentils, and you make, and the thing that makes it really exciting is you make a temper, which is where you fry curry leaves and onions and some whole spices, mustard seeds and some other stuff at the end. And when you pour the hot oil into the um, lentils, it kind of really re-ups on all the flavors that are inside it, and, 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 and it kind of gives it a, um, a big kind of punch of flavor. Yeah,
1: tempering is such a cool technique. It and, is. And so, do you have a daba box or a spice box that I you do. always cook with? Yeah.
0: Yeah exactly so exactly it's such a cool technique mm. also has lemongrass and pandan leaf if you can get it in mm-hmm. it so it's it, it, you know it, it's um, it's unusual it's, and it's and it's coconut milk based it's not buttery so it's lighter maybe than a south indian dal you might have had before um, and I feel like it sort of sums up what's exciting and different about Sri Lankan. Food. Yeah,
1: and and I feel like reaching out to a Sri Lankan restaurant in your community they're they're there. I mean, they it's not in America. There is a, a, a diaspora that is is loud and proud and bold, right? And there's restaurants everywhere. I mean, not everywhere literally, but many places. mean, mm-hmm. you just have to hit Google, right?
0: Totally, yeah, well, they're there. I mean, I haven't been to Staten Island, but I want to go this time because um, I hear that it's full you of probably great should
1: Actually, there's some there's some really good pizza. Yeah.
0: There. Okay, great. Well, I'll do
1: both. Do both. Um, now, I want to know a little bit about uh, the 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 actual writing of the book. These nine essays. Um, how did you approach... Because uh, that's a symbolic number
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that you decided to um, organize the book by this... Talk about the symbolic number and what these nine essays represent.
0: So I feel like in Sri Lanka lots of things come in nines. There are nine um, provinces. Um, there are uh, there are nine kind of fundamental emotions. If you're Hindu, there are nine... There are a festival of nine nights. Um, nine is a, it's a kind of special symbolic number. And... Um, and yeah, I, I guess when I was thinking about the book, I really wanted, um, I really wanted to, to for people to be able to just dive straight into the recipes. You know, to look at it, hopefully a beautiful picture of something and think, oh, I want to make that, and mm. it looks fun and whatever. But I also wanted to, um, if if people were thinking, hey, how come you? Why do you sometimes fry onions at the beginning, and why do you sometimes fry them at the end? Or is this curry exactly the same as two other curries that mm. I made earlier in the book? And is that, you know, if is that the case? Why do you have to have fresh curry leaves and not... Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of explain some of the theory behind and some of the uh, yeah. yeah the thinking behind some of those big kind of... Um, and you couldn't
1: just do it in a 200-word head note. You, had, you needed to stretch out a bit.
0: That's right. I needed a bit more space. Yeah. And I also feel like I wanted to tell a story about something, you know, a family or um, a Sri Lankan cricketer or um, or some racism that my dad experienced when he came to the U.K., mm. Because I feel like it – well, hopefully it would make the theory stick a bit better rather yeah. than me just saying in a, in, a, in a dry bit of the introduction, you must get fresh Harry Leaves. I feel like everyone just ignores that and then doesn't – Yeah,
1: work. we call that like the skip over pages, right. you know, sometimes in cookbooks, you know, like just like, oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool. And then we're going to get to the essay right
0: Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the eat your vegetables. Yeah, it's sort <laughs> of like <laughs> the, the – vegetables <laughs> of the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I think I just wanted to um, have the space to reflect Yeah, fle- reflect on, on the theory and also tell a story that would hopefully make it, um, yeah, make it more memorable for the reader.
1: What's up with cricket? Are you a fan?
0: I'm actually. I don't actually understand cricket. Okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> because
1: <laughs> I don't either.
0: I've had so many family members try to explain it to me. I think I've got a sort of sports blindness, and I don't really understand <laughs> what's happening. But Sri Lankans are absolutely mad for the game. Yeah.
1: Well, for I mean, for the size and the population, it's it, it's a force in the national it cricket. I, I you see. Uh, is it called a test?
0: Yes, a I match, think. Test? I think so. Sorry, I think that's a kind of... Sorry, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, everybody. Sorry, <laughs> the cricket fans
1: out there. We're being we're being bad. Um, I want to hear a little bit about moving to London. What's good in London right now? And lastly. You're opening a restaurant mm. while on book tour. Mm. Do you advise this for a future book uh, authors?
0: I 100% don't recommend doing two, those two things at the same time. It is as uh, hardcore as it sounds. I sort of, when, I, when they both happened, like when I had the opportunity to do the restaurant, when the site came through, Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I didn't do that much work. The first year of the pandemic, I didn't do that much work. So I was like, whatever. Maybe I'll just do two years worth of work in one year. <laughs> no, is the answer. That's not a good. Um, that's not a good route to go down. Um, it's yeah, it's very, very busy. And everybody is, um, I think they're jealous and annoyed that I'm not. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you're you're in New York and po- doing exa- podcasts exa- and having yeah. parties. This is not
0: this is not. Yeah, no. This is not what I should be
1: doing. C- Cynthia, you deserve this. Thank you. It's a great book. You deserve you. to be celebrated for it. So. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you. Um, and then, what did you say? What's good in London?
1: Yeah, well, backing up a little bit, let's talk about the restaurant. What's the sure. style of restaurant? Is it um, going to be? Is it like fast casual? Do you order it at like a, a, a like a at a counter, or are you? Is it like a full-service restaurant? And what are some of the menu items that you're great, doing? Great,
0: great. Um, so it's in Bar Market, which is uh, like a 1,000-year-old market in London. It's mm. actually, if anyone is old enough to remember this, it's where Jamie Oliver in his first ever show, The Naked Chef, used to like um, – go down a pole and get onto his Vespa. I recall jumped. we had
1: Jamie in the studio oh. maybe six months ago. I did not ask him about the pole, but I do know <laughs> these black and white images of Jamie.
0: You remember, Jamie. Yeah. 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 So he would go to this market, He'd go to a bar market and buy his fruit and veg off the market and have a little chat, yes. you know, cheeky chat to the to the vendors. So it's full of amazing produce, yeah. which is, you know, and it's really fun. It's fun to be there. It'll be a 60-cover restaurant over two floors. It'll be, we're cooking on charcoal and, we're, and it'll be an open kitchen. Kind of as they do, we're we actually cook on firewood, mostly in Sri Lanka, but it's the same spirit of, of that. Um, and it will be kind of what I hope will be all the best elements about village Sri Lankan cooking um, in the heart of Borough Market. The design of the restaurant's important to me. It's not a colonial restaurant. There are a bunch of restaurants in London that are um, that are kind of inspired by or- That era. Yeah, era, yeah. I think that's a bit of a weird choice to, 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 yeah. to make, yeah. Um, So it's a proudly post-colonial restaurant based on um, Sri Lankan's amazing modernist tradition of architecture. Um, and it's like a simple, you know, it's a simple, small space. It uh, it's gonna be sh- sh- sharing like we eat. In yeah, Lanka. you can do
1: live charcoal in a market in like in a big city that they let you do that. They
0: let you do that. I mean, it's an actual restaurant. It's not a like it's not uh, a yeah, stall or but anything. But here,
1: doing live fire is in New York City is oh, not possible. I
0: see. No, it's we're It's very allowed. hard
1: to permit that.
0: We're allowed to do it. Sweet. You just have to have a beefy extraction system, mm-hmm. which we yeah. Have.
1: what's going to be the dish the dish that people walk away from and say wow and it's called rambutan the restaurant it is yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, what are they
1: gonna say like this is the one
0: great question i don't know yeah. i think it could be my starters for 10 are i think it could be um crab fried rice yeah jaffna Crab curry, which is from the north of the city of Jaffna, which is uh, an area in the north of the island, is, like, famous across the whole country. It's what Antony Bourdain, you know, made in a, in a, on over a fire when he went came to Sri Lanka. It's like a, it's like a kind of, yeah... Um iconic dish, and uh, it's quite hard to eat crab, and it's sticky, you know. And yeah, you and
1: mean under the shell? Yeah, I agree. agree. Yeah, no so one wants to do that, I'm no, sorry. No
0: one wants to do that, so it's, so it's a crab fried rice, it's just easier, so it's yeah. so we'll, we'll mixed up in the crab, and fried rice, Sri Lankans love fried rice, and lots of people outside of Sri Lanka don't know how much we love it, um, and I feel like it's quite a modern dish, it's quite, you know. Yeah. So, so I think it could be that, um, and it could be fried chicken pole sambal sandwich,
1: Whoa! There you go, fried chicken sandwich. Fried chicken Stop. sandwich. How do you marinate the chicken? I know, like, I love when garlic and coriander come together in fried chicken. That's I'm not trying to lead the witness. What, what, you, what is your I style? I feel like
0: you've got a conclusion there.
1: Got a conclusion? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing?
0: I'm doing. I we're doing a buttermilk brine with cardamom in it,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and a little bit of garlic powder actually, and then just a simple uh, dredge, and, and we'll fr- and we'll fry it, and then um, actually. Because there's not that much going on. I I mean, there is a codum going on where there's not that much going on in the chicken because pole sambal is... Sri Lanka has lots of different delicious sambals Mm -hmm. which are kind of these... um, unpickled condiments and side dishes that are on each table delivering like a lot of flavor, concentrated flavor. Mm-hmm. And well, we the, know
1: sambal olek here, but that's like not, there's like many, many more that's types. That's right, that's yeah. right.
0: And, and we don't have sambal olek, but we have a bunch of different ones. Mm-hmm. And the and the sort of king of sambal, as I say in the book, is, is pole sambal or coconut sambal, which mm-hmm. is co- freshly grated coconut, lime. Uh, shallots curry leaves um and cumin and some ginger all mashed up together and it just is like a, an explosion of flavor and that plastic ch- chicken in a white sandwich i think could be could be that the could one. be the
1: guy yeah. um we have to talk about alex Lau, you're a photographer a friend of mine we're working on a book as well you get to travel with alex i've also gotten to travel with alex did you find him a powerlifting gym in sri lanka
0: Alex was just the loveliest, Love best, best collaborator I could have been He's really for. He's unbelievably professional. He's so fast. I feel like I don't understand. Like, is he doing maths in his head? I don't understand. He's calibrating for light and for everything so quickly. Um, when we shot the book, I wanted to have a photo for every single a recipe in the book which everybody told me was impossible because we only had eight days but basically Alex shot like a million photographs a day so it was totally possible
1: it's so possible it's, yeah. come on it's yeah, possible come on, I, exactly. come I on mean, editors it's no, possible
0: <laughs> that's the the American work ethic but I feel like in London people were like no you oh, never do Cynthia,
1: it oh Cynthia it's definitely the ethic here too they're you know got to do 10 photos a day no. in a studio. Well, I'm with you. My books that I make are like yours, reportage in this in the field. We're going to Korea in a couple of weeks to do this. It's like you have to be in the field. You do. Real objects, real spices, right?
0: You do. Yeah, you do. We actually we did the with a book shoot in London mm-hmm. and then Alex came out again in December to travel around on a madcap trip. I feel he gets very sick. Um, which I didn't know, yeah. and we covered I th- we covered a lot of kilometers mm-hmm. in a very short piece of time because we went right up to the north where my parents are from, and to the east, and to the south, and to the west, and to the and to the center. <laughs> so that was a lot of traveling in five days. But we, but yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience to do with. So
1: talented. I mean, th- that's the headline. I mean, the the way he shoots uh, is full of life, and your book is full of life. And when I picked it up, honestly, I picked it up and started. Or the PDF actually, so it was I was clicking around. I was like, I love these photos. I'm really these photos are incredible. And I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. we share a photographer. Mm-hmm. He, it's Alex. Wow, you have to pick up the book. It's I'll link to it in the show notes again. Ram Bhutan. before we go, I have to ask you one question. Do you watch the show industry? I do. Yeah. Oh, so great. Let's go there. Isn't it, like, the craziest show? It's
0: so good. It's so good. Right. I mean, You're a fan. And, and, there we dark, go. And dark and great. It's so...
1: I was talking to Yoda Matalangi last night at an event. Uh, I interviewed him, and he was a fan of it as well. It's great. You come from that world?
0: I don't come from that world. No, no. I was an economist for the UK Treasury. So, like, <laughs> it was government, and yeah. it was, like, a very sort of tame, you know, cups of tea and mm-hmm. whatever. There was no... You know, there was no shouting. Ecstasy in the trade at night. And drugs. and no, yeah, my God, no. and definitely for breakfast. No, no, no. no. <laughs> None of that.
1: <laughs> um, great show, though, right? Great show. All right, that's our TV minute. Cynthia, we ask all guests on the Taste podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or budget, meaning you have all the money in the world, Cynthia, what would that book be?
0: It's a really good question and difficult to answer. I think it would be about the ta- about like food of the Tamil diaspora, wherever we have settled in the world. There are Tamil people in all sorts of different countries. Like, we were taken... Um, from the south of India as indentured labour to the Caribbean, so there, you know, there are there are Tamil people in Martinique and in uh, Trinidad and in Fiji, I think, and in all, mm. and in kind of all sorts of places in the world, and then also more recently Malaysia, India, Sri Lanka, and then wherever we've settled as immigrants, so like the US and and the UK and Paris and australia and i feel like everywhere we go we're doing stuff a little bit differently we've adapted to the local um flavors so that's what i really like to do
1: can't wait to read that thank you for joining the taste podcast
0: thank you for having me
1: You know, I want to jump right into this because this is like really, truly an honor. have had you all on the Taste Podcast. We've, we've had episodes. We'll link to those in the chat. I want to go around and ask each of you, and we'll start with Melissa. Can you give us an example of a holiday cooking disaster averted
3: Um, can I tell you about the one that I didn't avert but that I will avert from now on and I can tell all of you how not to let it happen (laughs) all right so we were invited up to some friends who had um, this like lovely country house our kids were all the same age they were like little kids running around so just imagine the scene um, little kids running around and I decide oh this is like such a ho- it's a nice holiday spirit. I'm going to make a flaming punch. And our hosts brought out their most beautiful crystal punch bowl that they got for their wedding and uh I proceeded to make a flaming punch not even thinking that actually what happens when you heat alcohol at the top of a bowl that isn't made for flaming punch um the whole thing will explode and shatter everywhere including around the living room where your small children are. So don't do that. Don't ever do that. If you're gonna make a flaming punch, you need to use a flame-proof bowl. Um, I have a ceramic bowl that it's a stoneware bowl. That one works. Um, So everybody, flaming punch is awesome. Don't do it in a glass
1: punch. Don't do it in a glass. Susie, averted disaster. How did you save save the holidays?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, I I had my mother-in-law here, so um, Mm. she helped cook. (laughs) That's (laughs) always good. That's always good. I don't really remember anything that magnificent, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have set my towels on fire a couple times on video, so, you know.
1: (laughs) Haven't we all? And then you got to figure out the smoke alarm while it's still on fire. Yeah. Gotta do that
2: one.
1: Yeah. Lair, what, what are you thinking? Is there a moment in your history, in your cooking history where you were able to save the day?
4: Uh, well, not me personally. There is a, there's a famous story in my family about, this was uh, like a Thanksgiving like decades ago when my sisters and I were little kids and my mom put the turkey in the oven and unbeknownst to anyone in the family, my sister turned the temperature down to the lowest setting And that like, no one, I don't know why no one noticed, but like, (laughs) you know, they checked the turkey, like however long later. And of course it was like still raw. Um, so I would say, keep your, (laughs) maybe keep the kids out of the kitchen, um, on that one. And my general approach to averting holiday disasters is like, just order more of everything or go grocery shopping for more of everything than you think you need, because generally it's stuff you'll use anyway. And like, if you get just the right amount of everything, it's that's not enough. You're always, you know, you, you burn butter or you, you know, something hits like hits on the floor. It's, you're always going to need more than you think you will. So too much is the right amount.
1: I'll stick with you, Claire. I have a question. So you have friends and family. They know that you're uh, an excellent baker, obviously. What is the most requested holiday baking item that you get from friends, family, strangers? Strangers on the subway, you probably get a few too. <laughs>
4: um, so even though it, it's improbable, I do get requests for for fruitcake. It's a recipe and dessert person, um, which is like an aged fruitcake with the kind of like traditional English method where you bake it and then you um, basically, like baste it or feed it, as they say, um, with alcohol. You know, once a week for several weeks, um, even up to a couple months, and that has become something that I bring to like a family celebration. And so it's it's kind of just expe- I don't know if people are requesting because they like it, but it's just kind of expected that it will be there. Um, and I actually have a three-year-old th- fruitcake that's been like sealed oh. and not cut into. That I I I don't know why I just didn't it didn't get consumed. So I'm gonna test it this year and see if it's still good. Um, And if as a backup, I'm gonna make a fruitcake. I just had a a recipe in the New York times um, cooking. That's like a a one day fruitcake. So a much faster. A
1: little bit different. Um, It's like you have a a fruitcake museum in your house. I'm very (laughs) impressed.
4: A museum, or or like fruitcake graveyard, depending
1: mausoleum.
4: on mausoleum. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, depending on what happens. So I haven't uh-huh. cut into it. I got it out of the cabinet the other day. It looks fine. We'll, we'll see.
1: I just saw on Instagram that you, you made a wedding cake for a friend for a wedding this weekend. This past weekend. How did that go? That that's very nice of you to do that.
4: You know, it. I was. It was so. Great. It's such a pleasure for me, for me to be able to do this for such a good friend. Um, And it was a beautiful wedding and it turned out great, but I lost my mind about like eight times during the process. Let's just say that there was a, there was a 6.30 AM cab ride to the Bronx to pick up dry ice, not from a storefront, but from just the back of a truck. And I paid cash. So it felt like, (laughs) felt like Mary, New York. Um, (laughs) There was like, a, there was a FedEx overnight shipment. There was a UPS shipment. There was an Airbnb. There was a rental car. There was a lot of stuff, That's but it, it all worked out. The, the, I was worried that the cakes are going to fall over, but they didn't. Um, You're
1: such a friend. That's <laughs> uh, Susie. Let's, I want you grew up in Port Said, Egypt, and I want to know, did you grow up? Was there a, a a holiday tradition that you grew up with in Egypt? I I, I want to know.
2: Yeah, uh, so yeah, I guess I did grow up with some tradition and uh, for us, Christmas in Egypt is actually on January 7th. So we we celebrated the new year first and then we celebrated Christmas, which was kind of backwards, you know, when I moved here. Uh, so that was a little bit of an adjustment, but uh, our holidays, were spent quite a bit in the, you know, and my father was a pastor, so we were at church most of the time. So my mom worked quite a bit ahead on, you know, the holiday meal and everything else. But for most of uh, the Christian population in Egypt, uh, you would have fasted for like 43 days before Christmas. Mm. The, The Coptic Orthodox Church, the majority of Christians would have. So on on uh January 7th, well, I guess at midnight on uh, January 6th, you would eat all, all the like the feasty things. Wow. And so that was that was like the moment that was the night people gathered together and it would be like right after church at midnight. So imagine having that big meal at midnight. Um, so yeah, whether you fasted or not, you did that.
1: <laughs> good time. Was quite yeah. fun you lived in Grand Rapids Michigan not far from where I grew up and so you moved from Egypt well you're in Canada before but then you moved to... now I'd like to know you was there a Midwestern Christmas tradition that was like surprised you living in the Midwest
2: uh it didn't quite surprise me so I went to school in Grand Rapids Michigan that's how I ended up on in the coldest place on <laughs> earth so I came from Egypt you know with nice warm weather and then of course I lived in Canada and then Grand Rapids for a bit and where the snow like hits you you know well beyond your, you know above your knees sometimes and my my college friends they loved to go caroling (laughs) and they would bring me along and I just could never wrap my head around the whole idea of like walking in the snow and knocking on some stranger's home and singing and of course I was you know i still am tone deaf so it was all like just a mystery to me why we did that but it was it was a fun yeah. time
1: melissa you are truly a calming force in the kitchen for many of uh, millions of of our you know cooks in the in the, in the holiday season so do you do you stress out yourself
3: um you know i mean i stress out the days before like getting everything ready getting the lists ready you know but on the day, I, t- I don't. On the, the day of the feast, I am very relaxed because it's too late to do anything. And it's just like, you know, I mean, yeah. if your soul breaks, it's like, um, what I like to do is I I very much get my guests involved. Everybody who comes to my house knows that they're gonna be doing some of the cooking, um, especially if they have the, uh, the guts to show up a little early because, you know, people are, I'm always like, oh, come early and help. And I will put them to work and they know that, which is great. So when you're cooking together and you've got a big group, there's it's it's relaxing because you're with your friends and you don't stress about it because in a way you're all in it together right like if someone else makes a mistake it, I wouldn't get mad. And so they wouldn't get mad if I made a mistake. So it makes it really nice and communal. And I feel like to me, that's the most fun thing about the holidays is just gathering your people, being in the kitchen, putting out all the food you love. And if disasters happen, I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, there was this another year I was just thinking about like things gone wrong. Another year where a friend of ours was carving. Um, I made a goose Mm. and a friend of ours was carving this very big slippery goose as you do after you've had your punch. Um, Mm and it slipped and you know there was some knife action in his ER. hand and some blood and you know no we didn't actually go to the er it was okay. fine but it was there was but you know, and it, it was like he was fine we were fine and i just can't i i don't know it's just like it's like now we we laugh about it we're like oh yeah I remember the time you carved your thumb instead of the duck uh <laughs> i just feel like your attitude is the most important thing and as a as a host if you can feel okay about just let it come and know yeah. that you know, you can handle whatever it is. You know, as long as no one's really hurt, you're good.
1: That's good. Now, say I am in a moment where I'm hosting a party and my mind goes blank. Like I've got guests and I'm like got dinner to put on the table or I've got the buffet to put out. Like how do I get out of that mind going blank moment? I think we've all had that.
3: Oh, um, your the list, your list. So you always have this is one thing that I right. is actually really important. Always write out your menu and keep it somewhere obvious because right how often have you ever made an entire dish and forgot to bring it out? Like that has that happened to all of you. Like I can see, I see Susie and Claire, you guys are nodding, right? Like you're like, oh my God, I forgot to bring out the whatever dip or the thing that you slaved over and it's still in the fridge. So definitely make your list. And then if you go blank, it's right, it's there for you. Um, One other thing actually I want to say, Matt, about just like how you can um, save the day. So say you make a dish and it doesn't come out exactly as you want it to rename the dish because it's all about managing expectations. I have served bitter eggplant salad because it's supposed to be bitter, right? Um, or, you know, things like that. Like you rename that dish and you give people, you alter their expectation of what they're getting. And it 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 really just smooths things over in a really good way.
1: <laughs> we have one question in the chat for Melissa. So we have a, a, a listener who um, has a teenage son What is one recipe that you can recommend from Dinner in One that the teenager can make on his own?
3: Oh, God, a lot of them. I mean, it depends on your teenager, but I would say best way to do that is let them go through the book and let them pick. You know, there's nothing in that book that is beyond their skill level. And the dish that they're going to make successfully is a dish that appeals to them. If they're like, oh, yum, then that's what you should have them
1: make. Love that. Okay. So right now we're in shopping mode for the holidays. We've got um, a few more weeks before our holidays begin. Um, I'm going to go around and start with you, Claire, and like give us one food or kitchen related gift that maybe you've given or that you just can recommend for our audience today. Claire, you start.
4: Yeah. Last year, so very often I give um, frozen cookie dough as like a, nice. as, as a gift for someone because it really is it's so useful and it's like they can bake it at their own convenience and leisure and either enjoy it themselves and bake it in any quantity that they want um you know bring it to a holiday party or just enjoy at home so it's like a super flexible like wonderful gift there's like no work involved but actually last year I did something a little bit different which is um as a gift for like a a group of family I made everyone my own brownie mix so I used like the recipe from dessert person and I got all the ingredients together and like but separated them and wrote my own kind of instructions on like how to, you know, how to basically take out the ingredients and mix them. And, you know, it was like, add an egg, add two eggs, add, you know, this much. melted butter or something like that. Um, so it sort of a homemade like boxed brownie mix with my own recipe, um, which was great. And it's, again, something that like they can make at any time. It's not perishable. It doesn't need to be refrigerated. It can just kind of like sit in the back of a shelf. Um, so that was a great gift that people seem to really, really like. Um, and you can like include, you know, if people want to make it again, you can include the recipe. So um, that worked, that went over really, really well. But if that, you know, if that's not sort of feasible, then I think just like making a big batch of of cookie dough and freezing it and bringing it over, brilliant. Yeah, love that.
1: Susie. What's a good gift that we can give that we you know might surprise our, our friends and family?
4: Extra
2: virgin olive oil. <laughs> I'm so lazy. I'm like not probably going to take the time to make anything except baklava. I will bring that to friends, but I often will just bring a bottle of good extra virgin olive oil in place of a bottle of wine. I suppose something different, but also very useful.
1: Do you have a country or an origin source of an olive oil that you like? Is there, is there, I, I, this is not a political question. This is yeah. like a friends, friendly question.
2: Yeah, no, it's absolutely fine. It's a fine question. I, uh, I may be biased, but uh, the the three that I love most are Greek, Spanish, and Italian. Yeah. Uh, so those, those are the ones. And, and depending on, people's taste. I think the Greek that I use is very peppery and, uh, but the Italian is a little more fruity and mild. So I kind of know my friends really well and I'll bring, depending on who I'm going to visit, I'll bring something to their taste. So.
1: Love that. Melissa, a gift, food, kitchen, it could be gear, it could be anything.
3: Um, well, first of all, I love those gifts. I love the idea of bringing somebody olive oil instead of wine. And, oh, my cool. God, frozen cookie dough. Claire, I'm totally doing that. That's brilliant. Um, but for me, I, I think I'm thinking more in the equipment realm. Um, so, um, OK, a really good microplane, like an actual branded microplane as opposed to the... I mean, they cost $15, but so many people don't have them and yep. they are so good. And even if people do have microplanes, chances are their microplane is really old and kind of yes. dull and people don't replace their microplanes. So this is just like a little hostess gift. You can get them in a bunch of colors, tie a big ribbon on it. Um, mini whisk. Remember from our demo, um, yep. was it Sarah or Caitlin who had the mini whisk? And. I love the mini whisk um i have many of them so that's a good one um and actually a nice gift that i'm just thinking of right now playing off of what susie said you do a little mini whisk you do a bottle of olive oil and a nice bottle of vinegar and then you have a little vinaigrette and some flaky sea salt right and then you have like a little vinaigrette starter kit
1: love that i'll add mine in i you know about my mom one time i bought her like five vegetable peelers because literally I went there and they were always so dull. So you have to replace them every three months. They go dull.
3: So true. And people don't. So yes. So then your vegetable peeler and your, uh, and your rasp.
1: Absolutely. Quantity is great for that one. Okay. I'd like to hear about all of your cookbooks. They've been out in the world. And I asked this, uh, for the lung family when I ask it for you, I'm going to start with you, Claire. Now that it's in the world, your fans and friends are cooking from your book and baking. Is there a recipe? Is there a breakout hit? Is there a viral recipe that surprised you from your book? I'd love to hear from all of you. Claire, you're up.
4: Um, I think it's a little early for me to have a sense yet of like what is catching on, if anything. But one thing I just have been seeing like today and the last couple of days is there's um, a thumbprint cookie. It's the first cookie in the cookie mm. chapter. It's really colorful. So I think that has a lot to do with it. It's very eye catching. Um, it's a raspberry almond thumbprint. And I think most people expect the thumbprint to be like a short kind of cookie, but it's actually kind of a variation on a macaroon. Um, so it's like an egg white cookie you know base cookie with almond flour so there's it's gluten-free so it's you know really good for like a holiday party if there's any dietary restrictions um it may even be dairy free as well so it 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 works on a couple different levels and it has this it's filled with a raspberry jam in the center and before it gets filled it gets a little dusting of like a mixture of powdered sugar and freeze-dried like pulverized raspberry. So it's like light pink and then it has this very ruby red center. So I, I think it's just very visually appealing and it's, it, it makes sense that that would be like a holiday, a, a choice for people's holiday cookies. Um, so I've just really been seeing that like the last few days, actually like Francis Lamb from Clarkson Potter texted me like they he and his family were just making them. Um, and I, you know, so I see it on social media and it's really not a very difficult cookie at all. It's actually pretty simple. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Too the like simplicity plus the the color and the looks beautiful
1: uh-huh. yeah yeah I, I love freeze dried fruit we're working on a story for next month about freeze dried fruit and baking and cooking with it love that yes I mean
4: uh, it is it is a very useful baking tool
1: absolutely very yeah Susie sure. we'll get to you we have a question about your Greek peppery olive oil is there a brand I think we've got a fan of Greek peppery olive oil in this chat so is there a brand or is there any place you should find it putting you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Yes, the
2: Mediterranean dish. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Very shameless blog, but we have our own. So you can check them out on the Mediterranean That's You clearly I,
1: paid the person in the chat to say this setup I, I,
2: I have no idea who asked.
1: I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> All right. So Susie, yeah. Uh yeah. Um okay. Um, is there a breakout from Mediterranean dish? Is there is there a recipe that you feel you've seen, you know, jump into your comments. Etc. cetera?
2: Yes, there are th- three real quick. One, and I'm I'm kind of afraid to mention anything baking when Claire is here because she's the queen of that. <laughs> uh, the one that kind of, I guess, seasonally speaking, is coming up a lot on social media right now is an, an, an olive oil cake with cardamom and orange. People are making that a lot. It's very easy, nothing sophisticated, but also super tender and delicious. The other is a very easy chickpea soup with spinach and pocorino romano. Everyone's making that. I did not I think that. that that would be the one. And the, uh, and the last one is kind of a unique uh, take on couscous. It's a sweet couscous in milk, almost like a warm cereal, That's topped with nuts and, you know, Mm -hmm. with a little bit of cinnamon and brown sugar or honey, which is something I grew up with. And uh, I'll be making that Christmas morning and somehow people are looking at it and going, oh, this is interesting and also very easy to do. So those those three are happening a lot now.
1: I love that. Now, Melissa, you're writing for The Times every week. You've got your books, but anything that's really popping from Dinner in One that you've seen since you released it?
3: Yeah. Um, so, and it's funny because, you know, I think we're all surprised at the dish that pops out. Like you don't know when you write a cookbook, you have no idea idea. what is going to be the thing. Right. Um, so I did this acorn squash recipe. It's roasted acorn squash and it has, so you, you cut the acorn squash and you have like these little cups, these little boats, um, and you don't take the skin off. Because mm-hmm. acorn skin when you roast it is really delicious and it's easy. And then you put telegio on top. So telegio melty cheese. And you have and honey and you do it's like a little honey. Um, you can use any kind of smoky chili like um a, a Syrian chili um, or an Aleppo or just a smoked paprika. And um it's just, it's like the honey and there's some time in there and it's just so simple. And then I have some pickled onions on top, quick pickled onions, thinly sliced red onions. You just um, throw a little lime juice on it and they and a little bit of salt and sugar and they get wilty. So you have all of these flavors and textures. It's really easy. It's so pretty. And I i am shocked that everyone is making that one, but it's great. I mean, I'm happy, I'm thrilled, but I can guarantee no one thought that would be the, the dish. Um, and then the other one of course is a sheet pan chicken dinner, of course. Now that one we knew, so that one is, also butternut squash it's i guess everyone's cooking squashes right now because it's fall so yeah we're
1: still in the fall not quite in the winter you're queen of uh, pickle the onions you, you love using pickle I,
3: I do you can I make a big that. jar of them um, you throw them in the fridge and then you just take them out they're so easy it's like 10 minutes
1: it's so easy it's such a great thing to add okay we're wrapping up we have one more question um if you have anything in the chat drop it now i want to go around starting with you claire give us your new year's cooking resolution meaning this is something that you on on january 1st at midnight you want to you want to do for the new year what's your resolution
4: yeah i mean i've been i've been recipe developing steadily for cookbooks for so long that i really and i i already have started to to get you know back into the groove of cooking savory but that's like all I want to cook right now is savory stuff. I love the instant gratification of like savory cooking. It's like, you get to make it and then eat it and and it's sustaining. I mean, I love, I love baking. I love dessert, but it's like, you can't survive off of that. And I basically did that for many years. So, and also one of my resolutions is to do more meal planning and prep, because I basically haven't done that for the last like four years and it's time to like, get myself a little bit organized and set myself up for success and, um, start having things like cooked grains around, you know, for when I get, cause I'm someone that like, I don't eat if I'm not hungry. And then all of a sudden I'm starving and like ravenous and have to eat something, you know, in five minutes. And and that's where, like, if I have something just one thing that's ready to go oh I, I I feel like that breaks the seal and I'm able to p- prepare something for myself um so that's really a goal and it's it's not very lofty it's it's not that hard it's just about having a little bit of time to just make you know one or two things to have around um so that when when like the the hunger strikes I, I'm not just I have- you know, I, my, my, my thinking becomes unclear and like, just, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even really like put two words together. So um, yeah, just being like a little bit more intentional about making things that I want to eat and having them available.
1: Very smart. I have to shout out my wife, Tamar. She is extremely good at planning. And so I oftentimes enter that zone and there's something made in the fridge. So thank you, Tamar. Shout out to you. <laughs> Susie, what is your cooking resolution?
2: All right. Well, I'm a lazy cook, so everything I make has to be very easy. So I don't know that I want to change that about my cooking. I think I'm going to probably keep that going. But I actually got an email from Melissa. From the New York Times, and Mm -hmm. it said something about give yourself a break or something like that. That was was that from you, Melissa? I think that, yeah. And I looked at that. I'm like, yeah, that's my girl. I'm like all for giving yourself a break. I think you know when when January first hits, everyone's talking Mediterranean diet. I'm so blessed to already be eating this way, and I think I'm gonna continue to lean into that some more, and also continue to think about like doing less. Is doing less, like, like giving myself a break, and and continuing on with you know a simpler life. I think in general would would be really wonderful, and you I'm cooked so
1: cooked a lot over the past two and a half years, three years. I cooked a lot. I have,
2: and this year we, I'm so blessed because we have now a team that works for the site, and I'm not the only one cooking, and it's just it's a blessing all around. But thank you, Melissa, for the reminder. <laughs> to give yourself a break. I love so, it. That's yeah, nice. I'm leaning into that,
1: Melissa your new year's cooking resolution?
2: I wanna
3: cook more from other people's cookbooks. I love cooking from other people's cookbooks, but I never follow the recipe. Like I'll I'll open the book and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make that. And then I'm like cooking. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do it that way. I'm gonna do it this way because I, Susie, you and me, I'm lazy. I'm like, oh my God, okay, I'm not doing that step. I can't, um, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna follow recipes more faithfully. That is my resolution. I really want to, because honestly, the food comes out better when you listen to the people who know how to cook, right? So it's like, I have plans. I have big plans, all of your cookbooks. Um, you know, I mean, especially when I wing it with baking, it's, it's not a good idea. So Claire, I'm going to be like following your instructions. Mm-hmm. Susie, I'm going to be every, uh, although I know you they're either totally easy anyway, but I'm going to absolutely follow them. Also walks of life. I love that book and I will absolutely follow the recipes. So that's mm-hmm. my goal
1: absolutely great last word there i just want to thank you all this is such an honor to talk to all of you you're titans in our in our industry you have incredible work and taking the time thank you very much and you know happy holidays the taste podcast is hosted by me matt rodbard it's produced by pat stango and edited by clayton gumber theme music by steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.